Good morning, Mosaic. Seven days till Christmas. Who's excited about Christmas? Oh, man, man, I love Christmas. I love Christmas. But I dislike all you winter people, all the people who say, oh, I love winter time. How could you love winter on days like today? Come on, give me a break. Cooped up in my house all day yesterday, the worst, the worst. So who is done with all, Chris, all their Christmas shopping? Quick show of hands. Woo. Who hasn't even started yet? Yeah, 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 me either. Uh, I haven't done a single, I haven't bought a single present yet, so I'm not feeling at peace. I feel a little bit anxious about Christmas. The pressure's on now. Uh, I'm quite a procrastinator. Who's re-gifting some presents this year? There you go, there you go. I like the savviness, the, you're frugal, you're frugal, you're wise, need your money. But yeah, Christmas is kind of one of those interesting seasons, you know, it, it brings a lot of excitement, uh, but it also brings a lot of stress. Uh, it kind of resurfaces everything and anything. Every broken relationship we've had, uh, every family member that we're kind of in conflict with, uh, it, it kind of brings that and it heightens it in our world. Uh, and so I think this is one of those seasons where we're, it's, there's so much excitement, but there is, it's a season of anxiety. I, I know for me, I'm actually a very anxious, nervous person. Uh, and that usually kind of surprises people, um, but usually uh, the reason why is whenever I get anxious and nervous, what comes out of my mouth is positivity. So the more positive I am, it's typically the more nervous or anxious I am. Uh, so I saw this comic a while ago, and it reminded me a lot of myself. This is kind of the world that I feel like I live in sometimes. Uh, this is fine. <laughs> this is fine. This is okay. Uh, and so we live in this tension, right? Like, we feel like this is the season we're supposed to be at peace, but uh, if we're honest, like, there's, there's some conflict going inside. We don't always feel at peace. Uh, on Tuesday this week, I'm sleeping, and I'm sound asleep, and it's the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, I get woken up, and it was boom, 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 and my heart just starts racing. Like, especially in the middle of the night, like, there's, there's something about we've w- woken up, like, your brain just kind of goes to one of those crazy places. Uh, and so I love watching scary movies. So, like, my first thought was, oh, my gosh, like, what's going on? Like, my house is haunted. And uh, the reason why I kind of thought that was uh, at Halloween time, I went with some friends on this Lincoln ghost tour. Uh, and the, the guy, he was a total kook, but he said, he was like, ghosts don't live in graveyards. You guys know that, right? And I'm like, okay. He goes, no, they go back to the places that they enjoyed. So usually they go back to houses where they live, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this guy's crazy. But then two nights later, me and Nicole just bought a house. We moved into this house, which is how every scary movie starts, doesn't it? <laughs> right? <laughs> and our house is, was built in 1900, a very old house. And my neighbor across the street, I met him, and he goes, he goes, yeah, actually, the first lady who lived in the house lived there for a hundred years. A hundred years. And then I thought of the Lincoln Ghost Tour. And so me and Nicole have this running joke that Margaret is living in our house. I don't know if that's what her name was. But I heard this boom, boom, boom. And my first thought was, Margaret. <laughs> and so I'm lying there, my, my, like, my heart's beating. And I'm like, this is crazy, this is crazy. And then I hear it again. But this time it was a knock, knock, knock. And I was like, oh, no big deal. Someone's at my door. I'm like, oh, shoot, someone's at my door. (laughs) 
It's the middle of the night. And then my brain remembered this article that I read that said that burglars knock on your door before they break in to check and see if you're home. And so then all of a sudden my brain starts going through like, okay, I have a baseball bat in my closet. So I got to grab that and I got to go to the front door. And my brain's kind of like mapping out this plan. And then I hear it again, knock, knock, knock. And then my brain went to a different place. Did I tell you that I'm kind of a nervous, anxious person? So my brain goes to this different place, and I thought of, oh, man, we're actually connected to some families and some kids in the neighborhood. Maybe they're in trouble. Maybe they really need something. So then my compassion kicks in, and I jump out of bed. I get dressed, and I'm walking to the front door, and I have a deck, and I could see out on my deck, and I can see this man in all black, and it looked like he had a hood up just standing there. And I was like, it is a burglar. (laughs) So I go up to the door, and I'm like, who is it? Which I'm sure it kind of sounded like, who is it? Right? <laughs> and the person on the other side of the door said, said, Aaron. Aaron Loy. <laughs> Which Aaron, he was up here doing announcements. And I was like, my, my brain immediately, I don't know why it went to this place, but I was like, oh no, Megan left him. <laughs> like, we got to do this counseling session in the middle of the night. Okay, <laughs> so I open the door, and I'm like, come in, come in, and he's flustered and a little, uh, a little cold, and he goes, do you have the key to the office? And I was like, what are you doing at my house in the middle of the night asking for the key to the office? Uh, but it was actually like six o'clock in the morning, right? Did I tell you that winter was the worst, that it's pitch black at six in the morning? All you winter people. But isn't that crazy how life can be like that? How we can feel this anxiety, we can feel this nervousness, and our brain jumps to these ridiculous conclusions. It's a ghost, it's a burglar. Megan left me, right? Our brain goes to those crazy places so often uh, when reality most of the time is, I just need a key to the office. And so today, I, I want us to have this conversation around peace, How can we experience peace in our internal world when so much of our external world feels like it's in conflict? And so we've been journeying through this series, seven Hebrew words that everyone should know. And this for us is how can we put ourselves in the mindset of an ancient Israelite who existed before Jesus came? And how can we learn some of these words and what can it teach us about how we're living today? And so does anyone know the Hebrew word for peace? Shout it out. Shalom. shalom. A lot of us know this word, this Hebrew word shalom. Uh, it's one of my favorite Hebrew words. Uh, this is the one that I remember when we were talking about doing this series that I was most excited for, shalom. That shalom means peace. But also, even today, shalom means hello. Shalom means goodbye. Uh, shalom, it also, it, it doesn't mean peace in terms of like uh, that, there's a, that, that there's a lack of conflict. What it actually also means is that it can mean harmony, wholeness, or completeness. Uh, and so I wonder if us today, do we feel this? Do we feel peace? Do we feel this harmony? Do we feel this wholeness? Do we feel this completeness? Completeness? And how can we, uh, how can God give us this peace? How can we have this peace, uh, this shalom in our lives? 
And so what we have to realize is that uh, our question of how can I find peace in the midst of a world that's full of conflict, uh, this is not foreign to an ancient Israelite. You know, their life is full of conflict. Their life is full of turmoil. And so we've kind of even been journeying through Genesis and Exodus together. And so last week we, we talked about Moses delivering the people from Egypt. And then he's on this mountain and God tells him on this mountain, he says, I want to be with you. So I need you to build this tent. That is, I'm going to live in this tent. It's called the tabernacle. And so then Moses ends up dying and they go into the promised land. We're skipping way ahead. Uh, and then uh, they're in Jerusalem and they build a temple. Actually, David, he talks to God and he says, God, I want to build you, build you a temple. And God actually initially says no. And David's like, no, I really want to build a temple. And God eventually relinquishes and says, okay. And so, but he says to David, uh, you cannot build the temple. You are a man of war. But your son will build the temple because he'll be a man of peace. And so Solomon, David's son, builds this temple. And this temple existed for f- over 400 years in Jerusalem. But then Israel, they slowly began to turn their back on God. And what happened was, uh, around the year 400 BC, the Babylonians came in, and they, they went to war against Israel, and they invaded Jerusalem, and they burned the temple to the ground. Now imagine, right, you're in the mindset of an ancient Israelite. The temple existing means God is with you. God has been with them for so long, and now this temple, the world as they know it, is gone. In their hearts, they're thinking, God left us. Have you ever felt that way in your life? Like God has left you. And this this is how they feel, right? And so what 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 ends up happening is all these prophets sort of come up. And these prophets are people that hear directly from God. And what they, they pop up because they want to continually remind Israel of a few things. They want to remind Israel that, that you have turned your back on God consistently. But God is with you. God is going to be with you still. And God is going to deliver you from this. And I love what it's, this promise that is said in Isaiah chapter 52, uh, starting in verse 7. It says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. So God is making this promise to them. He's like, even though you're in exile, right? I'm going to bring you back, right? We're going to store Jerusalem. But Isaiah, he, he says also in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, he says, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom. Of the greatest of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. 
right? So God is promising them this future king that's going to deliver them. But then in this prophecy he gives to Isaiah, he says, he says, from that time on and forever, he's going to sit on David's throne. And so they're looking forward to this Messiah who's going to come, this Messiah who's going to come and deliver them, who will sit on David's throne forever. And so then I love what Malachi says about this coming Messiah as he says, he says, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The son of righteousness will rise. Can we get that Malachi verse up there for a second? Healing in its wings. And that word for wings is the Hebrew word kanab. Right? This is a two-for-one sale today. Okay? You get two Hebrew words for the price of one. Right? Kanab is wings. And we find that also in the book of Numbers. It says, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments. But they use this word kanaf as well, on the corners of their garments, on the corners of their prayer shawls. He says, you will have these tassels to look at so that you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own heart and eyes. And so this legend began to grow that the Messiah would carry healing in the tassels of his prayer shawl. And so then we fast forward to Luke chapter 8. And Jesus is walking through this crowd of people. And it says the crowd almost crushed him. There's that many people. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Which is true, right? Like if this crowd is crushing Jesus, and then all of a sudden he's saying, who touched me? He's like, what are you talking about? Everyone's touching you, Jesus. But Jesus said, no, 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 someone touched me, and I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Shalom. Shalom. See, let's not miss what's sort of happening here. In this moment, this woman, she's proclaiming Jesus as this promised king. That Jesus had this promised Messiah that is going to sit on David's throne forever. Right? This, is, this is happening before even Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah because she's thinking, maybe, maybe if I can just touch his garment, maybe if I can just touch his prayer shawl, maybe what Malachi said is true, that he will even, the tassels of his robe will carry healing powers within it. And then Jesus, he could easily have just walked away, but he's saying, no, 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 no. Like, let's, like, like there's more to it than this. See, because I think often in our lives, we see faith as a transaction. We see it as, okay, I'm reaching out to Jesus and I'm given this gift, which is true. It is true. But so often we leave it there. We just leave it at this transaction that Jesus died the death I should have died. And I've been given this eternal life that only he deserves. And so often we leave it at this transaction. But what Jesus is trying to tell her is like, no, 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 we need to, I'm trying to make a point here about what, 
this healing truly is and what salvation truly is because it's not just transactional. And he says to her, shalom. Shalom, go in peace. Go in harmony. Go in wholeness. Go in completeness. Right? Because think about this woman. She is not at peace with God. Because if you remember last week, uh, if you were unclean, and part of that uncleanness is if you are bleeding and considering this constant state of bleeding, she wouldn't have been able to offer sacrifices in the temple. Right? And so she's not at peace with God, and she's not at peace with others because people wouldn't have touched her. Because in that culture, in that time, if someone was unclean, and if you touched that person, then you would become unclean. And so she's not at shalom with the people around her. She's not at shalom with herself, right? Because she feels this incompleteness. And then Jesus, he stops and he says, shalom. Go in peace. Go in wholeness. See, the point of the cross, it's not only forgiveness. The point of the cross is restoration. It's shalom. That we can be at peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness with our relationship with God and our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with others, and our relationship with the world. See, faith, it's not just transactional. It's very much holistic. And that God wants to restore you to the person that you were created to be. You know, because think about it, like when we, when we sin, we're turning away from God, but we're also turning away from the person that God wants us to be. When, but then even if someone sins against us, right, the relationship with God is being broken, but also uh, you're being broken, right? Like part of your wholeness, part of your completeness, part of your harmony is being taken away. And that person, in a very real sense, it's causing you to not be the person that God wants you to be. I've told this story before, but my dad, when he was a year old, he entered into the foster care system. And he was in and out of houses. Uh, when he was 18 months old, he finally ended up in my grandma's house. So for a good, you know, six, eight months, he's just all over the place. And when he arrived at my grandma's house, he... Uh, he was just very quiet. My grandma would often find him just sitting alone in a closed closet. And anytime she got in the car and she turned the car on, he would freak out. He'd freak out because he was thinking in his head, I'm going somewhere else again. Once again, I'm leaving this place. This is an 18-month-old boy who is broken, who is lost, who is confused, who is traumatized, and is definitely not living his life the way that God wants him to live his life because of the things that have happened to him. And so my grandma, she tells this story that what she would do is she would get in the car, and she would put him in the back seat, and she would turn the car on, and she wouldn't go anywhere. And she would just speak over him. She would say, I love you. This is your home. You're not going anywhere. I love you. This is your home. You are not going anywhere. You are my son. How how many of us in this room feel, I know I do, like that broken child in a car? 
that we feel this incompleteness. We feel out of rhythm. We don't feel whole. And how many of us long to just hear those words spoken over us? And Jesus, in this moment, I totally believe this is what he's trying to say to her. Walk in wholeness. Walk in completeness. Walk in shalom. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 14. He says to his disciples as he's kind of talking about he's leaving, right? He's trying to prepare them like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to have to die, uh, but then the Holy Spirit's going to come. But he says, he says, peace, I leave with you. Shalom, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Shalom, I give to you. So Jesus, he's transferring this to his disciples. He's saying, look, I'm giving this to you. Where are we in our lives not surrendered to the Prince of Peace? Where are we living in our lives where we're not fully surrendering to him when Jesus is giving it to us? Uh, Because if we're totally honest, right, especially in this Christmas season, and so often we hear, like when we hear the Christmas story, we hear like it says in John, uh, sorry, in Luke chapter 2, like when the angels come, When the angels come and they declare the birth of Christ, what they say is they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Goodwill towards men. Because as we talk about peace in ourselves, like we also have to have this conversation about peace in the world, right? If God is making this promise through Isaiah that Jesus is going to be this prince of peace, what about the world we live in today, right? Is our world at peace Is our world in harmony? Is our world operating in completeness and wholeness? Right? It seems like our Facebook feeds and our news feeds is just one terrible thing after the next. Right? We have Aleppo. We have the war in Syria. We have ISIS. We have a divided nation. We have all these things. Like, in, in my heart, it feels like the opposite of peace. So how can God declare that he, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, And yet we see all this conflict in the world that we live in today. And I think it's important for us to step into that and to talk about that. But I think we also need to understand what Jesus says in John 14 is he says, I do not give peace as the world gives. I do not give peace as the world gives. Like this peace is different. This peace is different. And so think about it this way, right? How does, how does every nation in the world become a nation? Through war. How did America become a nation? Through war. How did Great Britain become a nation? Through war. How did every country that exists in this world today become a country? It's through war. So how is God going to bring shalom in a world where the only way we can really form our countries is through war? And so uh, what Jesus promises is that this kingdom is coming, that this peace uh, is coming, the shalom is coming through God's kingdom. But this shalom kingdom, it's a, it's a different kind of a kingdom, right? Because Jesus says, uh, the greatest in the kingdom is the weakest. The greatest in the kingdom is the one who loves and serves the poor. Uh, that, the, that the greatest in the kingdom is those who respond to evil by loving 
their enemies. And Jesus promised that this kingdom, right, it's arriving with him. And then if you remember, there's a story where this Roman centurion goes to Jesus and he kneels before him and he actually declares that Jesus is his authority. And so in that moment, Jesus actually praises him because he recognized something that no one else had, that not only is Jesus ushering in this kingdom, but that he is going to be king of this kingdom. It's an upside down shalom kingdom because empires control through war, uh, but God's kingdom rules through the weakest and the least, the lover of enemies through shalom. See, empires will come and empires will go, but Jesus promises that his kingdom will start off the size of a mustard seed and it'll grow and it'll grow and it'll grow and it'll grow. And I think we can often feel a lot like an Israelite. We can feel like God has left us, like the temple is destroyed. And just like then, God sent prophets to promise that there's a coming king. Like that even though you feel like out of shalom right now, like it's coming, it's coming. And I think what we have to, what we have to understand, what we have to recognize about our own lives is so, many, so often whenever we feel that conflict in our life, we feel like God has left us, right? And so, so often what we, what we think is, if good things aren't happening to me, then God is not with me. But what God is promising them is, no, I'm with you. And he sent all these prophets to continually to remind them, to remind them that, no, God's, God is still with you, right? There is a future here. And so God sent these prophets to these ancient Israelites, promising them the coming Messiah. But then God has also sent us a prophet, And he sent us this letter called the Book of Revelation, which we are actually going to be spending six weeks on studying in the new year. It's probably one of the most misunderstood books in the the Bible, but what it is and what it's telling us is this, it's promising us something. That even though we feel like we live in a world of conflict, that even though we feel like we live in this world of turmoil and tension, like there is goodness and mercy and shalom coming for everything. See, the promise now is that even though we feel like we're in conflict, we can operate in shalom. We can operate in wholeness. We can operate in peace in our internal life. Even if you're broke, you can be at shalom. Even if you're sick, you could be in shalom. Even if your family member is sick and dying, you can still feel shalom in your personal life. Like, this is the constant promise that God is promising to them through the prophets. And then through the book of Revelation, what he's promising us is that one day, everything, everything. So it says in Revelation 21, verse 2, it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The word Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, and the word Jerusalem means city of peace. 
because Salem comes from the same root as Shalom. And so the word Jerusalem means city of peace. So God is promising that this new, this city of Shalom, this city of peace is going to come. And he's going to live with us. And then I love the promise it says in Revelation 21. uh, It says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. See, we find shalom, we find peace, we find harmony, and that the promise is that one day everything will be renewed. Everything will be restored to what God initially intended it to be. And so God, he has the audacity to invite us into that. The audacity to be a part of that. That Jesus gives us the gift of giving us his peace, of giving us his shalom that we can be bearers of that peace and that we can give it to the world that we live in so that even though the world that we live in is in crisis, we can step in and we can be a bearer of shalom and peace in every terrible situation that we see in our world and in our lives. So today, like where are you out of wholeness and harmony with God? Where is there not shalom with you and God? What do, you, what do you need to, to say to him? What do you need to step into in order to experience that reality today? Where are you not in shalom with yourself? Where are you constantly feeling out of harmony? Where do you feel incomplete? Where do you feel just this lack of wholeness? In your relationships, where do you feel out of shalom? Who is that person that you need to bring peace to? Who is that person you need to be reconciled to? Who is that person in your life that did the worst thing that you could ever imagine that you need to forgive? And then in our world today, where do you see chaos and conflict and turmoil? And where is your heart burning and you say, I have to do something? If I'm a carrier of peace, of Jesus' peace, how can God flow out of me? And, you, and how can God use me to bring peace to the small part of a world that we can touch. See, shalom is so much more than just, the la- than just an absence of conflict. It's harmony. It's com- wholeness. It's completeness. And as we really reflect in our internal world, let's ask ourselves the tough questions. But let's also feel this burden and this weight lifted off of our shoulders. Because even though we may feel like God is very distant or God is not with us, maybe all we need to do is in faith reach out and touch that tassel and feel the healing powers that God offers us today. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are creator. I thank you that you are good, that you are holy. And God, we reach out to you today. God, my prayer is that every heart and every mind in this room 
reaches out their hand, reaches out their heart. And that they just, as they brush you, we will feel your healing power in our lives. That though we feel broken, you will bring wholeness. That though we feel lost and confused, you will bring peace. God, I pray that every single one of us in this room, what we hear echoed over and over and over in our minds is shalom. Shalom. That Jesus, we can have your peace. We can have your shalom. God, we thank you that you are not a God who is distant, but you are a God who desperately wants to be with us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, One thing I discovered this week is that the Apostle Paul, in every letter that he writes to the churches, in his introduction, he says the words grace and peace. Grace and peace. Uh, May we walk out of here in that knowledge and that fullness that We can have peace with God. We can have peace with ourselves. We can have peace with others. And we can have peace with the world that we live in. And every day it's recognizing that peace. And we're going to get it wrong and we're going to mess up. But we can have that completeness and that fullness as we turn to Jesus. I can't wait to celebrate Christmas with you all on Christmas Eve. uh, We're going to be talking about Emmanuel, God with us. That God is not a God who sits on a throne somewhere else, but he chose to come here. And that is one of the most amazing, exciting things. That's the reason why I named my son Manuel. God with us. Emmanuel. God came here. He became human. Something to celebrate, something to get excited about. And Santa's coming too. So Santa with us also. All right. See you, Mosaic.